Well, hello, everyone. I'm Dave Sattler, one of the pastors here at North Shore Alliance Church. Thank you for joining us in person. And for those who are watching online, it's great to be together today. We continue our exciting summer series on New Testament characters. Last week, Pastor Brendan took a look at Peter. And in light of the fisherman's unique spiritual journey, Pastor Brendan invited us to ponder our own walks with Jesus. How are we becoming more like Jesus? What are we doing that Jesus did? Today, we look at the lesser known, but for my money, equally impactful New Testament character, Barnabas, an encourager, whose strong influence, I believe, bolsters the lives of both Apostle Peter and Apostle Paul. I am grateful for the encouragers God's put in my life over the years, and a few stand out for me. One's a guy called Shivatsi from Kenya, Africa, who somehow landed at Green Bay Bible Camp in the Okanagan in the summers of my early teens. He loved the game of soccer, and he was an incredible coach and cheerleader. His favorite line was this, David, you can't do it! David, you can't do it! Shivatsi was so passionate, he made me feel I could believe I could actually do almost anything on the soccer field. Then, there's my college soccer coach, David Adderholt, with his thick southern accent, he was from Georgia, and he would shout out instructions on the field to me, Salah, deny him the ball! Salah, deny him the ball! Boy, did he have a way of firing me up. And God has used many people in my life to encourage me, some in this room, people who've identified gifts in me, some that I couldn't see for myself. Others of you, God has used to keep me going, to help carry me through some difficult life moments, which leads to our discussion question for today. We're going to go coffee time on you today. Every Wednesday afternoon, we have a discussion time during the middle of our sermon, Our discussion for today is this. Turn to someone next to you and name someone in your life who's been an encourager for you. Take a minute or two each, share with one another, and then we'll come back. I'll just get everybody to come back in now. Back in the 1980s, North Shore Alliance Church was led by the Reverend Arnie Toes, 
A lesser known pastor than, say, Bueller or Sattler or Peters or Rios in North Shore Alliance Church history. For a decade, Arnie led our small and fledgling and nomadic congregation eastward from various locations in West Vancouver, eventually to the Memorial Rec Center just across the street. With a tiny group of maybe 70 congregants at the time, it was Pastor Arnie Toes who had a vision from God to encourage the bold purchase of our current property and the building of a permanent church here. Such a gift. It took tremendous foresight, huge risk, and big faith. And sadly, Arnie only lasted a short time in this new building before eventually being forced out of the church to move on. Part of the joy of being a Christ follower is how God blesses us in community with other people like Barnabas who are encouraging and life-giving and help propel us forward in our journey with Jesus. Over the years, countless others have encouraged me with their time, counsel, friendship, resources, practical assistance, meals, gifts, and prayers. And my life with Jesus is far richer as a result. There is only scant material in the Bible on Barnabas the encourager. We're going to have to dig for it and read between the lines a little, but we'll begin our study today in Acts chapter 11. I invite you to turn there. It'll also be on the big screen behind us. We're going to read about the story of the church at Antioch. Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyrene and Cyprus, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When Barnabas arrived and saw, that the grace of God, saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Barnabas was a man, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then verse 25, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Let's pause, just invite the Lord to speak to us now through his word. I just encourage you to take a moment just to open your heart to what God might have to encourage you and challenge you with today. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this amazing example of Barnabas, son of encouragement. God, I ask now that you come and move me out of the way and come and speak to us by your spirit. 
God, we pray that today you would apply the truth of your word to each heart today. God, would you come and speak now? We are hungry to hear from you. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, as far as Christian church history goes, it's important to note that Christianity for at least its first few decades existed and was categorized as a sect of Judaism. And it's not until here in Acts 11 that ministry to the Gentiles, non-Jews, begins to take shape. Persecution flushed many of the earliest Jewish converts to Christianity out of Jerusalem. And they scattered mostly northward to cities in modern-day Lebanon and Turkey and Syria along the Mediterranean seaboard. These Jewish Christians were committed to spreading the word, but at first they did so only among fellow Jews. This all changed, however, when some men from Cyrene in North Africa and Cyprus, an island in the middle of the Mediterranean, began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about Jesus. And with tremendous results, it says a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. God was at work in Antioch. And so the mother church in Jerusalem dispatches Barnabas as emissary to investigate the new phenomenon in Antioch. Gentiles, Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus. We have to understand, this would have been a difficult read a hard pill to swallow for most insulated and devout Jews. What? Those people? Messiahs for them too? They too get to believe in Jesus, the one we've been waiting our whole lives for? And much depended on Barnabas' assessment of the situation. And when Barnabas arrives, instead of squashing the whole movement, he has the spiritual maturity and insight outside of his Jewish worldview, to recognize the grace of God behind what's happening. And he rejoices. To the new Gentile converts, Barnabas even offers his encouragement. The decision you've just made, it's totally worth it. Welcome to the family. Remain true to the Lord with all your hearts. And this snapshot gives us a window into the heart and character of Barnabas. That verse 24 lays out clearly, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Oh, to have that epitaph on my tombstone. In all his writing, Luke describes no other man as good, only Barnabas. It seems wherever Barnabas turns up, good stuff happens. As a result, again, a great number more people in Antioch believe and turn to the Lord, which presents another challenge. How would the church in Antioch disciple all the new believers, many of whom are Gentiles? In what just may be the TSN turning point for the first century church, Barnabas cooks up a very strategic solution. You know what a solution is? Fetch Saul. Fetch Saul. Remember him? Saul's the highly educated devout Jewish Pharisee and former murderer of Christ followers whom Jesus met and radically converts on the Damascus Road. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. After Saul's salvation encounter with Jesus, as you can imagine, he re received a less than warm welcome into the church community. And Saul then disappears a while. 
He goes back into the Arabian desert to his hometown, Tarsus, learns how to reread his Bible and minister to, you guessed it, Gentiles. And once summoned to Antioch, Saul interns for a whole year under Barnabas. And Barnabas simply includes Saul in his work, discipling new believers. And one can only imagine how this shapes Saul for what lies ahead. And I have to say, I just love it when God multitasks like this. He takes a need in the church and he fills it with someone, often a person off the grid who requires further spiritual development themselves, while God also ministers to others through them. I love it when God does this. It's beautiful. Peter is also likely there when Barnabas and Saul trek back to the mother church with gifts from Antioch to provide famine relief to assist their fellow disciples in Jerusalem. And from here on out, Peter and Saul, now called Paul, become the focal point of the first century Christian mission. And Barnabas fades. Little else is written of him. But still, God employs the encouragement of Barnabas to play a vital role just beyond the spotlight of the story. Well, it's time now to land the plane on some application points. What might it take for us to become encouragers like Barnabas? What might it take for you and I to become people of encouragement just like Barnabas? I offer three thoughts for us today. The first is this. It's about taking risks to do God's work. Do you know that sometimes God calls us to enter into dodgy, in-between, uncomfortable spaces to stand in the gap for him? Two chapters earlier, just after Saul's conversion, we get more of the backstory. Acts 9, 26 to 28 says this. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, no doubt, not believing that he was really a disciple. Here's the point. But... Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul was on his journey and had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. At great personal risk, Barnabas vouches for Saul and welcomes him in. And God uses this bold action to propel the mission of Jesus forward and shape the course of Christian history. Another incredible Christian movement began in the late 1960s on the west coast of the United States and is depicted in the recent movie Jesus Revolution. Perhaps you've seen it. It all starts when Pastor Chuck Smith's church, Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California, was dying, struggling in the ministry, Pastor Chuck somewhat reluctantly took a risk and opened his life, his home, and his church to young hippies in the growing movement of that time period. Many of Pastor Chuck's more conservative church members clashed with the outcasts that Smith was welcoming in, disagreeing with them on views about life, religion, and music. Some longtime members even quit the church. Still, these wandering youth found belonging in the community, salvation in Jesus. Many of them got baptized in the Pacific Ocean and infused the church with tremendous new life. 
And this sparked what many may call the greatest revival in American history, the Jesus People movement that spread across North America, reaching Europe and Central America, and spawning several major denominations. And God used Chuck Smith as its unlikely catalyst. This is the heart of Christian mission. Sometime later, we get one final snapshot of our man Barnabas. And ironically, this time he's in sharp disagreement with Paul over the inclusion of young John Mark in the team. Paul's done with Mark because he bailed on the last mission. But but Barnabas won't have it. He's willing to give Mark another chance. And he puts him on his mission team. And Paul and Barnabas go their separate ways. Much later, John Mark writes the gospel of Mark. And I wonder... Do we even have the book of Mark without this act of grace from Barnabas? And does Mark have Barnabas' wonderful example in mind when he writes this summary of the saving work of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 45? For even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Barnabas appears willing to take risks, to step into messy situations, to put his neck on the line for people, even people others wish to cast aside, just like our Savior, Jesus. People of North Shore Alliance Church, to whom is God calling you to reach out, to open your life, your home, our church too? It's my deepest conviction that when we are willing to take risks to reach out beyond our comfort zones to all sorts of people different from ourselves, that's when God moves most mightily. Second, there's an application here on possessing spiritual insight to see God at work. As one commentator puts it, the believers in the early church did not rely for moral guidance on an elite group of moral teachers. Every Christian was possessed and led by the Holy Spirit. And it's clear Barnabas has a unique sensitivity to the Spirit. And it's my belief that God still longs to endow us, his people, with spiritual insight, discernment in the Spirit to see his hand at work in our world. Problem is, are we open to this? True possessing spiritual insight takes a lifetime to cultivate, but are we even aware of our need for it? Or are we so conditioned by our culture to see things only in the natural? Or in every situation or decision in our lives, do we simply just defer to conventional human wisdom? It's remarkable that wherever Barnabas turns up to encourage Christians, non-Christians flock to become believers. It seems he has faith to go with the flow of what the Spirit is doing. Yet it often is easier, much easier, just to sit back on the sidelines and to criticize other people, to point out shortcomings from a distance rather than ask God for spiritual insight and then come close and encourage. Some saints, it says, don't like surprises. Barnabas is not one of them. His eyes are ready for the new. He has seen the grace of God before, and he knows what it looks like in new places 
and on new bodies. Barnabas sees Gentiles coming to faith and has the spiritual insight to discern that it's legitimate. He then acts as a pivot between Jewish and Gentile elements of the early church. Barnabas is that glue guy every church needs. In my life, too, I've been learning to listen, to go with the flow of the Spirit, to tune into the voice of Jesus, and to act on the spiritual insights God gives me. Yes, I know over the years many of you have fallen victim to Sattler's, I need you on my team. <laughs> Sorry. Now sometimes it's just me, and I get, I get it wrong sometimes. But more often, it's God showing me what he's up to. And I'm grateful that I've listened and acted on it. I encourage you, ask God to give you spiritual insight to see where he is at work in people and situations. Why not make this one of your regular prayers? Ask God, show me what you were doing. Show me where you are at work in our community. Lord, who are you prompting? Lord, who are you ministering to right now? Spirit, show me where to go, to whom you want me to minister, who you'd have me encourage today. Truth is, church needs more people hungry for spiritual insight from God to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. Third and final application point is this. It's about coming alongside people to spur them on in their spiritual journey. It's significant that at Antioch, the place where the church first welcomes Gentiles, non-Jews, is also where believers are, as a group, first tagged with the name Christian. At first, it's a term of ridicule. You Christians. Maybe it's come back to that now again. But later, it's embraced by the church. Christ, or Christos, is the Greek term for anointed one, Messiah, the long-awaited God of the Jewish tradition. Here at Antioch, God seems to announce that the church and its Messiah is not just for people of Jewish origin, but indeed for all humanity. And Antioch becomes the first truly inter-ethnic church with multicultural leaders. It says later in the book of Acts in 13, Simeon and Lucius, Africans, are leaders in the church at Antioch. There's a guy called Menaean, a former high-ranking Jewish politician and boyhood friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And they are all working together in leadership, in powerful unity. And these elders of the Antioch church send out Saul, a citizen of the empire, along with a culturally fluent islander from Cyprus named Barnabas, who's the quiet catalyst behind it all. And one author asks, what kind of churches were these guys supposed to plant? Well, they had only one kind, the Sin, a church that would bring the ethnic, racial, socioeconomic, and linguistic diversity of the city together, that would reach out to the needy and to the lost with equal integrity. That is the kind of city church that Saul and Barnabas went out to plant. Antioch Church was their model. It's been wired into the DNA of God's church for centuries. Yes, it's me and Jesus, but that's not enough. It's also me and all sorts of other people alongside me in community, spurring one another on in our spiritual journeys. On first introduction, we learn 
that Barnabas, do you know it's actually his nickname? In Acts 4, it says Joseph. That's his real name. A Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Son of encouragement. Now, in my life, I've been called a son of a lot of things. <laughs> but wouldn't it be great to be given the tag son of encouragement? Every person, every group, every team, every church needs encouragers. Yet the value of encouragement is often missed because encouragement so often happens in private, not in public. It's why Barnabas is probably rarely preached. What's the reputation of the Christian church in our world these days? Sadly, it feels like we Christians are not generally known for being encouragers. There's an old school strategy, still prominent in the coaching world and in Christian circles that I believe is dead wrong, destructive, and dehumanizing, and not of God. It's the hard-nosed approach to coaching and discipleship. For those of you sports fans, it's hardline Harold Ballard, Mike Keenan. Hammer your people. Make them afraid of you, and eventually they will do exactly what you want them to do. That is not the way of God. With anti-Christian sentiment rising in our nation, amidst conversion therapy laws, and school curriculum that does not paint the Christian church in a good light, how? How do we carry ourselves? How do we walk alongside people well and somehow point them to Jesus? Now, there are definitely times to call people out. But far too often in our world, we Christians have made a name for ourselves by what we are against rather than what we are for. And I believe encouragement ought to be our primary attack with people. Encouragement is discerning and naming specific things we see in people that God shows us that they may not see themselves. A big piece of being an encourager is proximity. It's simply showing up, investing time in relationships with people. And God has even designed a helpful byproduct. Do you know that when we come alongside people to encourage, we too grow as we serve. And the Christian story asserts that our encouragement can even have eternal impact. You never know how far your simple word of encouragement can propel another person. So may we, with God's help, like Barnabas, become encouragers to family, friends, neighbors, teammates, and congregants in such a way as to bless them in their spiritual journey and point them to Jesus. Amen. Amen. I invite the worship team to come now to lead us in worship as we respond.